You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The Mayor's Council and TransLink are voting today to go ahead with a $7 billion transit plan that includes the Millennium Line extension under Broadway and light rail transit in Surrey. There's just one problem. They're a little short on money. Ted Chernecki explains how that's going to cost you. And I do not agree with this, with the increase in the fuel tax. It's Though many mayors waxed eloquently against the idea of raising the transit gasoline tax when it came time to vote. All right, all those in favor? Only a handful voted no. The motion carries, and come April 1st, you can add another cent and a half to whatever the price at the pump might be then. Who is opposed? The mayors were as surprised as anyone that the province would give them the green light to raise the gas tax. Some of them only found out about it yesterday. While there was rumours and discussion, there wasn't a confirmation in regard to the issue until yesterday. This is no one's first choice. It's certainly not our first choice. Uh, once again, we were looking uh, to give the mayors a range of tools that they can use to figure out the best way that they can close their gap. Coming out of the blue with a new gasoline tax that's totally unexpected is not the right way to do it. Talk to British Columbians about affordability. Talk to British Columbians about transit. Don't just sandbag them and ambush them with new taxes. By giving the mayors the okay to raise the gas tax, if necessary, the day before today's meeting, it effectively kept the issue out of public debate. And while no one claimed to like the gas tax, some suggested it was necessary to find funding for $30 million so they could carry on and spend $7.3 billion. For today, I, I don't want to see this referred and delayed. I want to see us move ahead. I'm not a big proponent of hold your nose and vote it forward. You know, I think that there has to be uh, some strong representation around this table for citizens of the region who are just at their max. They're done. The mayor of Maple Ridge was one of only five who voted against the increase. And as for motorists who might want to rant about yet another gas tax increase, the fact is taxpayers are paying for all of it. All $7.3 billion would paid one way or another, be it federal taxes, provincial taxes, municipal taxes, and yes, gasoline taxes. Global News. And check this out. Prices at the pump jumping this morning to $1.57 a litre. That's up about 10 cents from just last night. And while experts say there are a number of factors that explain the jump, for those hitting the road this long weekend, it's an all too familiar sting. Aaron MacArthur has more on the pain at the pump and reaction to news it's just going to go higher. Overnight, the price at the pump bumped to nearly 158. Anyone filling up today choked down a fairly large hit to their bottom line. It's ridiculous. It's cheaper in England. I cancelled my car insurance because of the gas price. I don't really know how, like, uh, how many kilometers equal to how many spins like this. So I just don't want to change my lifestyle. But this year the hit could be record setting. Analysts see prices near record highs. And all the price increases passed on to consumers. Our Canadian dollar still lags at 133 pennies to buy one US dollar. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was 128, 129. Uh, and again, because we price all of our fuel in US terms, higher prices globally means even higher prices for us here in Canada. All of this comes on the day the province and mayors came up with a plan to charge us another cent and a half 
to pay for transit improvements. Well, because of BC's big gas tax is 55 cents a liter. 55 cents a liter? That's a big gas tax. Our big gas taxes are the biggest in North America. That sounds like a big ass tax problem. Today, the independent contractors of BC launched a social media campaign putting pressure on the government to give us all a break. This is a big cost driver, not just the direct, you know, you're at the pump and you're filling up, but it's a big cost driver in everything that we do because every good and service in Lower Mainland moves at some point by a vehicle. Expect prices to climb above 160 as the weekend approaches and stay there for a good chunk of the summer. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And another note, this long weekend, starting today, BC Ferries is expecting heavier-than-normal traffic, especially at the Horseshoe Bay Terminal. If you're traveling through there, be advised. They say if you don't have a reservation, don't bother. Our Nadia Stewart is live in Horseshoe Bay tonight. Nadia, that's pretty serious, and it all comes back to a delay in ferry repairs. That's right. On the coastal inspiration, Chris, it was supposed to be ready this weekend, uh, but now delays in those propeller repairs means that vessel won't be ready until July the 2nd. That has already prompted some cancellations uh, for some passengers who are hoping uh, to catch their ferry over to the other side. One passenger tells us that she made a reservation back in April, but received a call a few days ago to say that had been canceled and that she would be getting a refund. BC Ferries says that they just don't have any other option uh, but to, but to uh, since the Coastal Inspiration will be out of service for the next couple of days. We do need some more resiliency in our system. Uh, we don't have any spare major vessels. When it comes to a summer schedule, all of our major vessels are scheduled to be in operation and unfortunately we just don't have an extra ship. Now some advice for travelers, two tips. If you can get on the ferry by foot, that is a great option. Otherwise, if you can try and catch the ferry on Canada Day or early in the morning, that's your best bet at this point. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Nadia Stewart in Horseshoe Bay. Well, a fatal hiking accident serves as an important lesson to outdoor enthusiasts tonight. Two teens out hiking near Bunsen Lake became lost last night. And while they may have thought they were doing the right thing by following water to find their way out, John Waugh explains why here in B.C. experts say that is not a good idea. The day after an end-of-school-year hike turned into heartbreak for the family of a 16-year-old. People hitting the trails near Bunsen Lake couldn't help but feel shaken by the tragedy. I was thinking of that coming down just to hear that as a mom. You always want to go home after work, after having fun. So, you know, be careful. The teens set out at around 9 o'clock Wednesday morning to take on the Dilly Dally Loop. Other hikers call it an advanced trail that takes at least 10 hours with plenty of treacherous terrain along the way. I never do it alone um, or even without a compass is because around the lake area, the, the loops there I find confusing. I can never find the markers. Somehow the two young men drifted well off the trail. They ended up on this creek river. While trying to find their way down, the 16-year-old suffered a fatal fall. It's always difficult uh, at any point in time. Um, you know, you always hope for the best. Now, at some point, the teens became lost and thought the best way back down is to follow the water, which would eventually take them back to Bunsen Lake. Search and rescue members say that's actually a common misconception, and that's the last thing you should do. That might work in Arizona or somewhere that's flat that will eventually bring you to where there's a road or something. But uh, for our mountain area, that's the worst thing you can do. 
Like the nearby Swan Falls, the area where the hikers were located. Just steep, slick, moss-covered granite. There was uh, three or four of our members that were actually on site with, uh, with the subjects, and uh, they had a difficult time standing up themselves. The other teen is expected to physically make a full recovery, but must deal with the pain of losing a friend. After this tragic start to summer, Search and Rescue hopes hikers will come prepared. And if they get lost, know it's always best to stay put. John Hua, Global News. A former B.C. Premier is speaking out today, urging British Columbians to say no to changes to our current voting system. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now with more on this. Uh, Keith Ujjal Dosanjh is warning against proportional representation. What yeah. are his reasons? Well, you know, it's interesting. He's a former NDP premier who's breaking with his own party on this issue. He, Ujjal Dosanjh, voicing uh, concerns about PR that other uh, opponents of PR voice, and that is that uh, relatively small fringe parties that get, get just 5% of the vote uh, can potentially determine who forms a government in what is inevitably going to be a minority government situation in a PR system. Ujjal Dosanjh speaking earlier today. You know, you aren't going to persuade me by simply saying if 5% of the people are racists um, or homophobes or um, against women's equality, that they should have the right to sit in the legislature based on the percentage. I'm sorry. So we're just getting started in this debate, Chris. The campaign officially kicks off next week, July 1st. Uh, the yes side and the no side will eventually get a half million dollars each sometime in July. Then the voting begins in late October through to November 30th. It's about a five-week mail-in campaign. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot of conversations about this topic, um, if not through in the summer, certainly in the fall when the ballots start to arrive in B.C. houses. Chris? All right. Voters need to be educated to make that choice. Thanks very much, Keith. Right now, though, a renewed push for ride-sharing in Metro Vancouver today. Stakeholders in the tourism and hospitality industries out in force demanding that ride-sharing come to the Lower Mainland. And supporters feel it's important to BC's economy to arrive sooner rather than later. Jill Bennett explains why. If we want our population to be responsible, we need to give them responsible options. And one of that is ride-sharing. We need ride-sharing now. We can't wait until the fall. And we totally support ride-sharing as a means of harm reduction. The message isn't new, but it is getting louder. Bring ride-sharing to BC and do it as soon as possible. A combination of late-night SkyTrain service till 3.30 in the morning and ride-sharing would make an incredible difference to those people that can't afford to live in Vancouver but want to come down and enjoy the Granville Entertainment. We saw in major cities like San Diego and San Francisco and, uh, and um, uh, I think Denver uh, was another one where the actual decrease in drinking and driving um, went down by about 30%. Supporters of ride-sharing say not only does it help get impaired drivers off the roads, it also adds to public safety and helps businesses. Every single day I waited upwards of three hours to get a cab. Now that's three hours of my wasted time, three hours that I'm on that street and something could happen. But despite repeated calls for companies such as Uber and Lyft to be allowed in B.C., residents are once again being told to wait until the fall legislative session for an update. We're going to bring in some options for public, uh, but we want to ensure that there's safety. We want to ensure that people can still make a living uh, in the industry. And we want to make sure that any uh, entrants that come in the market, whoever it is, uh, follows by the rules of British Columbia. 
So will ride-sharing be here by the end of 2018? The answer is still unlikely. Jill Bennett, Global News. Now, reason we all love to live where we do, some marine excitement in Metro Vancouver today with the sighting of some urban orcas. A number of people spotting a pod of killer whales in Burrard Inlet. The Vancouver Aquarium says they're probably transient whales and likely looking for seals. OceanWise reminds boaters that current guidelines require boats stay at least 100 meters from the whales and slow down to 15 kilometers an hour. A Vancouver photographer has found himself innocently caught up in an employment scam that stretches across the country. He was surprised to discover that someone had been posing as him on a well-known job site, trying to hire an assistant. Global's Sean O'Shea reports. And the money was good? $30 an hour. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. We'll call her Nancy, not her real name. We're not showing her face because she's living in fear. Right now I'm afraid because I, I became a victim of a scam. They know my name, so of course, you know, there's the phobia is there. Nancy had applied for work on the job website Indeed, a job for an executive assistant in Markham, north of Toronto, supposedly working for this man. And I had never posted a job ad. I've never hired anyone before. I'm a photographer and uh, I don't have any assistance, let alone the need for an executive assistant. A scammer posing as Vancouver photographer James Friesen posted bogus ads trying to lure willing applicants like Nancy. The ruse? Convince them they'd be working in an office environment, doing clerical work, that they'd need to go out and buy equipment if necessary. So the scammer sent Nancy money up front, a check which may or may not be real, payable for nearly $3,000. Scammers would likely send more checks and ask for money back in return once they've earned someone's confidence, but ultimately leaving them hundreds or thousands of dollars out of pocket. Nancy figured it out. They exposed my resume to uh, scam artists. Indeed didn't return our calls, but online posts show these kinds of scams have happened before with the company. Nancy wanted to warn others. Be cautious, be smart and wise, and don't just accept a job. Ask, you know, protect yourself. The real James Friesen has been overwhelmed with calls from people who think he's hiring. But it's definitely wasted a lot of my time having to respond to a dozen different people explaining that I'm not hiring and that James Friesen is not the real James Friesen. Sean O'Shea, Global News. An unthinkable accident on Vancouver Island has turned a sailing outing into tragedy for a 16-year-old disabled boy. And I'm always up for an adventure. That is Gabriel Pollard, who had a severe form of muscular dystrophy. He just finished a trip with the Disabled Sailing Association last Thursday afternoon when he was dropped while being lifted out of the boat. The sling used to carry him broke loose, and he fell onto the boat before slipping into the water. It took about 15 minutes to get him back on land, but he suffered a seizure on the way to the hospital and died. The Sailing Association's director says nothing could have been done differently to prevent it. The lift was the same one used to load Gabriel onto the boat, and why it failed later remains a mystery. In a statement, the family says there are many, many unanswered questions surrounding his death. The B.C. Coroner Service is investigating, and a GoFundMe page has been set up to help support the family. When a torrent of mud and debris came down a hillside in April, it looked like an Okanagan resort would be out for the season. But as Global Okanagan's Kimberly Davidson reports, thanks to a lot of hard work, Seclusion Bay is almost back in business. Actually, they're all really nice. 
The July long weekend is almost here, and managers are hoping the Seclusion Bay Resort in West Kelowna will be completely reopened. It's a pretty big accomplishment considering this was the scene just a couple of months ago. An April mudslide all but took out the private road that leads to the resort and spread mud and debris down the hill, dangerously close to the cabins. We thought at that time that we wouldn't be able to open this year. Contractors were hired immediately, water was diverted and berms were built to protect buildings from ongoing slides. The embankment below the road to the resort had to be repaired. It's still not officially open. We progressed pretty good. They've now got the road uh, passable. We're just waiting for an approval uh, from an engineer, which they've been on site up there. Uh, and once that happens, then we'll be open for the public. And it is hoped that will happen ahead of the Canada Day long weekend. That's the good news. The bad news, the resort managers say their insurance claim was denied. We're not covered. So the cost of maintaining this and repairing is going to wind up falling on us. And the spending won't stop with repairs. An engineer will have to be hired to deal with the underground aquifers that saturated the slope in the first place to divert the water and prevent this kind of disaster from happening in the future. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, West Kelowna. Police rush towards shots fired. Traumatized victims run with their hands up. Sadly, familiar scenes in the U.S. and the site of yet another mass shooting. This time the target was the offices of the Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland. Five dead, several more wounded. Garrett Hack has the story. The first calls came in at 2.34 this afternoon. Several shots have been fired, uh, possible uh, shotgun, at least 10 shots heard. Reports of the active shooter at an office complex in Annapolis, Maryland, housing the Capital Gazette newspaper and other businesses. Now in fact, shooting people right now with a shotgun, black shirt, green pants. Terrified reporters were inside, tweeting their accounts of what was happening. Anthony Messenger, who's believed to be an intern at the Gazette, writing, active shooter, 888, best Please help us. And reporter Phil Davis saying, gunmen shot through the glass door to the office and opened fire on multiple employees. There's nothing more terrifying than hearing multiple people get shot while you're under your desk, then hearing the gunman reload. Authorities confirming at least five fatalities, saying others were gravely injured. It's scary. Very scary. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a, little, I'm a little shaken up about everything. Police inside evacuated people from the building with their hands up. They told us to put our hands up and keep them up and then start sprinting. Authorities say the suspect is now in custody and being questioned. His motive, currently unknown. The investigation has just started. We're going to be quite a while determining what occurred, why it occurred, and how it occurred. The governor offering condolences and thanking the responders. Your heart goes out to all the people that lost their lives and all of their families. The mayor adding that just a week ago they had gone through active shooter training. We did not expect something like this to happen in our community, but... We were ready, and I don't think we could have put any more resources if you look behind you at what's been done here. It's a tremendous response. Now, in a late development, CBS News and other news outlets are reporting that the suspect is 38-year-old Gerald, or sorry, Jared Ramos, a man who'd had a long-running dispute with the newspaper over a column he claimed had defamed him back in 2012. More details, obviously, to come throughout the evening. 
Police in Nigeria are blaming brake failure for a disastrous fire on a highway that killed at least nine people. Oh my goodness. An oil tanker truck burst into flames, setting fire to more than 50 other vehicles. It happened on a busy highway leading inland from the port city of Lagos. Four other people were injured. Teams from Britain and the United States have joined the desperate search in Thailand for 12 boys and their soccer coach who've been missing in a flooded cave complex for five days. Torrential rains and rising water are still slowing the search, but no one is giving up. Tonight, rescuers are diving down gaps in the rock using thermal drones, while hundreds of searchers on the ground, including this team from the U.S. military, desperately look for 12 young Thai soccer players and their coach, missing now since Saturday. Their bicycles and shoes still at the cave entrance. A distraught mom calling out for her son. The team was on a post-game field trip. Local media showed pictures of the boys on an earlier trip. But this time, floodwaters blocked the way out. The terrain, rocky and remote. Underground, miles of narrow tunnels and caves, with floodwaters rising six inches an hour overnight. The conditions are getting hostile. Previously, trapped tourists have survived for days. It's very cold and wet inside. We don't know what kind of provisions, what kind of clothing these boys were wearing when they went in. Rescuers now pumping out the water are hoping the boys have found dry ground. Kelly Kobiea, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, BC will have two flag bearers next Monday for the opening of the Canadian Transplant Games at UBC. One of them we met last night, seven-year-old Addison MacArthur, who's one of BC's youngest athletes. The other will be BC's oldest transplant athlete, 70-year-old Bob McKinnon, who had his heart transplant just four years ago. Lynn Collier reports. Here we go. Armed with a new heart and a long love of bowling, go. Bob McKinnon is training to compete at the Canadian Transplant Games. It's just going to miss the... It's amazing, uh, I guess, what we can do uh, medically these days. I mean, when you look at Bob, you have no idea that he's had a heart transplant. He certainly is an inspiration. We're pulling these out. Four years ago, after living with a pacemaker for almost a decade, Bob's heart, which was twice the size of a normal heart, went into atrial fibrillation. They look so nice. The pressure on his lungs caused pulmonary hypertension. Bob was immediately put on the transplant list. If I didn't get a heart transplant, I would, they'd be transplanting two organs, uh, a lung and a heart. In November 2014, Bob got the call. There was a heart for him. He remembers being wheeled into the operating room on a Friday morning and waking up on Saturday afternoon. Very, very, very amazing. He wrote a letter to the donor's family and just, you know, you're just so thankful for somebody was obviously lost and I lived. You did very well there. I would just focus a little bit more on getting down low when you deliver the bull. Yeah, okay. Bob practices as much as he can at his local lawn bowling club, looking forward to competing at the transplant games. More than anything though, he wants to increase awareness of organ donation. You're not in it to, to basically win a medal. You're in it because you want to compete. You want to show what you can do with a transplant. I'm just glad I'm able to compete. Excellent shot! Way to go! So it's great to be alive. Good.
Lynn Collier, Global News. It sure is. Well, you can find more information on the Canadian Transplant Games starting next week in Vancouver and Richmond on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. They are fascinating and hardy creatures that live in one of the most inhospitable places on Earth. Gen 2 penguins have adapted very well to their home on the Falkland Islands. But a pair of UBC researchers had to endure some pretty extreme conditions to learn more about them, coming back with a new appreciation for these amazing animals. Linda Aylesworth reports. On the remote Falkland Islands in the often inhospitable South Atlantic, humans can have a rough go of it. I would say the biggest challenge in the Falkland Island is the wind. You're dealing in very rough conditions, but you're surrounded by such a beautiful place and the water is amazing. Amazingly rough. And yet the Gen 2 penguins that live here seem to do all right most of the time. Huge respect. So, I mean, when you see them walk, you wonder, how do they do it? They look a little bit awkward like this, but they're incredibly fast. They swim in these fairly harsh sea. Marie Auger Matei and Sarah Dyer McComb at UBC's Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries recently spent two weeks camping on the islands to study these hardy little penguins. It's hysterical just seeing them interact with each other and you know, waddling on the land and when they run and they have their flippers out to their back, as you'll see in the footage, it's just, it's really great to get to see and watch them. Up to now, Gen 2 penguins have only been studied during nesting season. But Sarah and Marie wanted to know how far they go to forage for fish and squid when they're not tied to the nest. To do it, they attach small satellite tags to 66 of the birds. Kind of finding already with our data is that some of the Gen 2 penguins are doing multiple day trips really far out at shore. Yeah, so this penguin's gone about 175 kilometers offshore. They'll eventually compare where individual penguins have gone to forage with their ability later on to raise healthy chicks. The idea being that the penguins that found rich fishing grounds are more fit to reproduce. Hoping to develop tools that allow us to better understand what habitat we should conserve. Discovering and preserving fishing grounds important to marine life will be key to their survival as climate change further challenges their ability to find food. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A swimmer's pre-race routine that's blowing up the internet right after the forecast. It, right? We do that yeah. around here sometimes. Yeah. Not true at all. Here's What's the Chris. song? School's out for summer. Can you sing it? Yes. Isn't Go for it, it Alice Cooper? Yes. Yeah, he loves it. Well, it wasn't a super day, but no. not bad, I guess. Yeah, a little gray, and it certainly has been gray for the last couple of days, Chris, but this... Sunrises have been spectacular. Check this out. Unbelievable. But you know the old saying, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. And so that's why we've been seeing these gray days. And the next couple of days are going to be no different. So tomorrow a wave will push on shore, similar to what we saw today. We'll mostly see cloud, but we do have a 40% chance of showers. I am anticipating maybe some breaks of blue sky towards the evening hours tomorrow, but then another wave moves on shore for the first part of your weekend. So yes, your Saturday 
Saturday, everyone, is going to be a little unsettled. As we head into our Sunday, yes, Canada Day, we dry out a little bit. And this is your forecast for Canada Day in Metro Vancouver. Mainly cloudy, about a 40% chance of showers, but mostly dry. I think it's the type of scenario where you bring an umbrella, you bring a rain jacket just in case, but hopefully uh, mostly dry. And uh, it will look like that on Monday as well. Backing up, though, and looking at your Friday, we are going to see a fair amount of rain across the north coast. Further inland, we've now put in some instability in through your region. That means a risk of thunderstorms in through the afternoon hours from the BC Peace River area through the central interior and across these areas and through the south. So Kelowna, Kamloops, and then further east into the Columbia and Kootenai region. A Soyuz, Merritt, and then further west, that's where things will be a little bit more stable. But for the south coast, yes, we are going to see quite a bit of cloud and a chance of showers across most areas. If you're in the Fraser Valley, Chilliwack, uh, Abbotsford, I've put in a 60% chance of showers for you, so better chance there, but then the further west you go out towards the water, only a 40% chance. And as I mentioned, I'm hoping for some breaks of blue sky towards the end of the day. Saturday is going to be a wet one. There's your Canada Day with a 40% chance of showers. Not necessarily warm. Still temperatures are going to be below seasonal, but we warm up a little bit on Monday, but still that 40% chance of showers. So near seasonal conditions uh, as we head throughout our weekend. Now, today was the last day of school. Lots of kids bringing schoolwork home. And one mom sent us this. When I grow up, I want to be a meteorologist because I will be on TV. I will be on Global News. Aw, isn't that awesome? Seven-year-old Logan, he's in grade one, finishing up today, and he's watching tonight. Hi, Logan, and uh, yeah, there you are. You're now on the news. That is an excellent goal. You could do a lot worse than being a meteorologist on Global News. Logan, (laughs) wishing you all the luck in the world. Okay, now he's being called Swim Yonsei for reasons that will be obvious very soon. (laughs) University of Alabama swimmer. Christian Stryker is getting a lot of play online for his elaborate pre-race routine. The 19-year-old warmed up by performing part of Beyonce's dance routine from her performance at the Coachella Music Festival. He tells BuzzFeed that he did a personal best and finished sixth in that race after he warmed up like that. The other swimmers, they're not even paying attention. That always, is what Chris does before a show. <laughs> always repping Beyonce. The reason Sometimes he finished the robot. six is he was wasting so much energy. Well, I wondered about warming that. Warming up. <laughs> All right, we'll get to uh, some of the World Cup happenings a little bit later on, but first. First, July 1st. First, July 1st. Uh, that, of course, is when we all celebrate Canada's birthday. And it's also when a bunch of Canadian hockey players, along with some other nationalities, get some big bank as NHL free agents. The big prize is the Islanders' John Tavares. I think it's likely he'll stay in New York, although Toronto would love to get him. The uh, Canucks are not interested in a big-money guy like Tavares, and quite frankly, he wouldn't come here either because the Canucks aren't close to being a Stanley Cup contender yet. But Vancouver is willing to spend some money on someone. Last summer, the Canucks brought in the likes of Sam Gagné, Michael Del Zotto, and of course Thomas Vanek is free agent. This year, they're once again looking for what they call support players, players who can help protect and nurture the young ones that the Canucks hope will make their team. We have, you know, a lot of good young skilled players that, you know, we think, you know, are ready to play and we're going to 
see them at training camp this year. And but we're looking for players. You know, maybe they're penalty killers or there's some you know energy guys or something. But we're mostly looking for for players that can support our young skill. And that likely means Benning is only looking for forwards, not free agent defensemen. We got eight defensemen from last year, and we got Ole Ulevi. That's you know I I feel it's going to come in and have a good camp and. You know, depending on what Quinn does, and Ashton Sautner looks like he's close to playing. Now, there weren't a lot of trades at the draft, which was a bit surprising, but there might be some moves after the first few days of free agency. And the Canucks are not adverse to taking a player off another team with an undesirable contract if that team includes a draft choice as part of the package. We've looked at some deals like that. We have, you know, like we would like to add more picks for, for next year, so... Uh, you know, we're considering some things like that, too. Vancouver Giants have their new coach, Michael Dick. Uh, he has been with the organization in the past as both a scout as an, and also as an assistant. And he has had some success in the past coaching in the WHL with Westbridge. And recently he was coaching some elite minor hockey teams. Not only do you have to be respected, I, I, I think they gotta they gotta want to play for you, and, and, and if they want to play for you, you gotta establish a level of trust with them. Michael, for me, really is a guy that I felt shared a lot of the same ideals I had, and, and certainly the execution of his team on the ice was something that I really thought was a terrific job. Everybody knew what they're doing and where they're supposed to be. England and Belgium was kind of a strange game today because the winner would go to a tougher side of the World Cup draw. The loser would get the bottom part of the draw where there's Croatia and Spain, tough teams, but no Brazils, no Portugals, no Uruguays. So Belgium takes the, and this is the worst celebration I've ever seen. <laughs> Michi Badashai kicks the ball off the post after Janajai's goal. England had a chance here to make it 1-1. I wonder if they really wanted to score. Well, they didn't. I'm not saying that Marcus Rashford missed that on purpose, but let's put it this way. A lot of English fans were quite glad he did. So England loses and Belgium wins the group. We'll show you who they're playing in a moment. So Colombia, Senegal. The VAR, the video referee. Now that was originally called a penalty kick, but when they went to video, it's ball first. That's not a penalty kick. So, Senegal does not get its spot shot. That's good. VAR doing its job. Then, Colombia, Yeri Milna. And with that, Colombia is going through. Senegal, now their hopes hinge on what happens between Japan and Poland. They get some help early. Poland scores. Actually, they got help in the second half. Jan Bednarek volleys it in here, coming up as we watch them uh, congratulate after the game. There's Japan. And here comes Poland, who any, a lot of people thought would come out of this group, and they're going home after this game. They get the goal here, though. Then Japan just plays it safe because the tiebreaker for them in Senegal is fair play. Who has less yellow cards? And Japan had less yellow cards, so... Don't anybody kick anybody. Don't do anything crazy. Just pass the ball back and forth here until the clock runs out and we're through. And they were. So here we go. The final two matchups were set. So Belgium and Japan. But as I said, Belgium went to the tougher side of the draw. England gets the lesser side of the draw. They'll take Colombia on. And then whoever wins that game, I think, gets the winner of Sweden and Switzerland.
All right, Tiger Woods is back in action. Quicken Loans National in Washington, D.C. Six holes in trouble. Second shot. Fairway medal. This one is, is. Oh, I can do that. Made a double bogey, plus two at that point. Got it back on the 14th here. Pitches this one to within two feet. Gets the birdie. Uh, Tiger was actually using a new putter this week. Broke hard right, just as Phil said. Yeah, not the usual Scotty Cameron. Oh. Even par, 77 shots off the lead. Adam Hadwin, 169. Nick Taylor shot a 72. They'll be out there again tomorrow. All right. All right, there you go. Thanks a lot, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay? Thank you, Chris. We're learning more this hour about the alleged shooter in today's deadly rampage at a news organization in Maryland. CBS is reporting the suspect as 38-year-old Gerald Ramos. He was taken into custody. A Twitter account matching Ramos includes years of tweets railing against Capital Gazette and details of a legal dispute with the company. We'll have more tonight. And we're also keeping an eye on the woes facing long weekend travelers at Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal. We'll have the latest at 11, Chris. It's going to be tough if they don't have mm. a reservation for sure. Okay, thanks, Jay. The story of two young girls and their surprising symphony still to come. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this long weekend. Kasia? Yeah, big weekend ahead and no shortage of things to do. We first head to Port Moody for the Golden Spike Days Festival, one of the oldest and longest-running family events in B.C., attracting 40,000 people to enjoy entertainment and activities over four jam-packed days. Rock out on the island with thousands at B.C.'s largest country and rock festival. This year's lineup includes Creedence Clearwater Revisited, Colin James, Collective Soul, Big Wreck, Grapes of Wrath, to name a few. Celebrate Canada Day in North Vancouver. As always, festivities happen at Waterfront Park with all sorts of live entertainment, activities, multicultural food, and free cupcakes. If you prefer a downtown vibe, head to Robson Street. There you'll find live entertainment, patio parties, giveaways, treats, and even street hockey. For 20 years, Kelowna has put on a big free party for Canada Day, attracting 60,000 people to these fun family events. Sunday, head to Waterfront Park for live music, dance, food, displays and more, ending off with fireworks. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Coming up on ET Canada, did Scarlett Johansson once audition to be Tom Cruise's wife? And is there a Spice Girls reunion or what? Or is Mel B fudging the truth? That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Thank you, Carlos. Not sure I could ever pull off a suit like that. A recent performance by the famed New York Philharmonic had the audience transfixed with sounds of new original compositions and even more impressive the two very young composers who were responsible. At just 11 years old, Jordan Miller and Cameron Cowan's dreams are coming true. In front of a crowd of nearly 30,000 people in Brooklyn's Prospect Park. Original music they composed was played by the New York Philharmonic. Did you find yourself looking around and seeing what the reaction was? Yes. And what was it? Um, kind of mouth wide open, like kind of surprised. 
It's pretty spectacular because I think when the Philharmonic plays your piece, it's more dynamic. The girls are part of the Philharmonic's Very Young Composers Initiative, and their works reflect the program's theme, the Harlem Renaissance. Cameron's composition is called Harlem Shake. Jordan composed Boogie Down Uptown. My piece, it's inspired by um, the Harlem Renaissance, of course, and the excitement of when you first arrive. And while they may be musically gifted, it isn't always about notes and chords. What do you do for fun when you're not writing music or studying for school? Um, usually soccer is the basis in my life. I like um, doing creative writing and poetry. What do you say to people who say, oh, kids that young couldn't possibly be composing you know, major scores. It's not really a special talent to me necessarily. I feel like everyone can do it as long as they believe in themselves. These mini Mozarts are just getting started. Keep an eye on those girls. Mm -hmm. for sure. Maybe even a future soccer player. <laughs> That's if right. soccer is her life. Uh, just before we wrap up, we'll uh, remind you, obviously, Sunday is uh, Canada Day. We'll be broadcasting the News Hour with Sonia Diol, the weekend news hour down there on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And one of the highlights for me every year is doing the citizenship ceremony in the morning right. and emceeing that. This whole new batch of citizens coming into Canada. It's very uplifting, and weather should be good for it. Yes, uh, so it's only a 40% chance of showers for Sunday, your Canada Day. Uh, that's the type of scenario where just bring a rain jacket or an umbrella just in case, but otherwise should be good. All right, sounds good. Thank you for watching. Hope you're having fun, Sof. See you back here tomorrow. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. Police in Maryland say they've recovered what are believed to be smoke grenades at the building housing the Capitol Gazette newspaper in Annapolis, where an army.